Disappointing when hearing that reading is the fact that I have to tell you that I'm not preaching on the entirety of that passage because there are so many good things that it would, we'd love to preach on. Uh, in this series where we're looking at promises that propel, they are looking at promises of God that if rightly understood and applied, lead to our spiritual maturity and joy in Christ. So we're focusing more specifically on the promise from verse 11, that your joy may be full. Okay, we're going to open up in prayer uh, because I need and we all need God's help to engage with his word together. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in what we do know of you, recognising that even if we knew everything that the Bible had to say about you, we still know such a small amount of all of your splendour and wonder and majesty. And Lord, regardless of wherever we're at at this point in time today, we pray that through your God-breathed word that we might hear something more of who you are, what you have promised to us, and the joys of knowing you. Lord, we, we, we pray and we thank you that your word is living, breathing and active. May it do its work in us and amongst us, not just in our time together, uh, but as we go on from here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've got an ethical question for you. You're walking through the shopping centre. There's a little kiosk there in the middle. There's two people who are looking really kind of out there, extroverted. You know they're looking for someone to chat to. What do you do? Now, I'm going to be honest here. I tend to avoid eye contact. The moment you make eye contact, you're it. They're, they're in starting that conversation with you. Whether it's for a gym, whether it's for a charity, whether it's for paintballing, whatever it is, you give eye contact, man, you, you're easy pickings, you're out for the conversation. And I find it rude to say not interested once they've started. I feel like I'm obligated to, to listen to the entirety of it. Even if from the moment they say their first words, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, not interested, thanks. But when we read through these words, like Jesus has spoken in John chapter 15, when Jesus says in verse 11, I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, I can't imagine there's too many people who would say, not interested. If the Saviour, creator of the world says, I want to give you my joy and that you would have it in full, people would say, nah, not for me, I'm not into this happiness and joy stuff. Or if you've got the NIV, that your joy may be complete. Now if this was in the middle of Grand Central and the person you're speaking to you is promising fullness of joy, as appealing as that promise might be, you think, you actually don't have the capacity to, to follow through on that. But when the infinite and almighty good God says, I want to give you my joy that your joy may be full, you know, he can do that. He doesn't say anything he's not capable of following through on. You've got me with that one. These promises that we look at, when rightly understood and applied are to bring us to maturity and joy in Christ. As I was chatting to Samuel before the sermon, I said, 
There are so many great promises of God. This could be the January series for years and years to come. So why this promise? Other than the fact that it ties in nicely with last week, where James encourages us to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. I can imagine that everyone likes the idea that, that Jesus is promising his joy and that our joy would be complete or full. Now, admittedly, when I chose this promise, where I was at that particular time was not a good experience of joy. I think I kind of alluded to that a little bit at the AGM, that I hadn't been travelling particularly well this year. But what I was thinking is, I know Jesus promises this. I know it is his desire for us to have this. I know he's willing, he's able. Therefore, any deficiency in my experience must be a lack of understanding on my behalf or a lack of application of what he has provided for me. Now, I imagine that's probably pretty commonplace for most Christians. You, get, you lament the, the gap between Jesus' promise that your joy may be full And what is the reality of your day-to-day Christian living experience? And it's my prayer that God would work in us by his spirit, by his word, to transform our hearts, transform our minds, that we might behold what he has for us, that we might know something of this fullness of joy that he speaks of in John chapter 15. So this morning we're going to look at what is joy? Where does joy come from? Or what brings us joy? And how can I have fullness of joy? Now, if we're going to spend a bit of time talking about joy, it's probably worth our while to define our terms. What do I mean by joy? Now, some of you are thinking, well, maybe it's a particular Greek word that the New Testament uses that's very different than what we understand of the English word. Well, the Greek word kara is a noun as in describing joy or the, the verb, if you're interested, is, is kairo, which means to rejoice, means the experience of gladness. And if we just look at a basic everyday Oxford English dictionary, it defines it as a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. It's not really a massive gap between those two, is it? I mean, there's certainly a difference between experience and feeling. An experience of gladness or a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. We could say it's a feeling or or an experience of happiness, of gladness and pleasure. And Jesus says he wants his joy to be in you and for your joy to be complete. Who wouldn't want this? Who wouldn't want, when Jesus promises, who wouldn't want this to the full, complete, max out? Now, some might think that all sounds a little bit selfish, that you would want fullness of joy. Some might even say that's a totally non-Christian idea to pursue joy, to pursue happiness. How How selfish. But I'll argue, and we'll expand as we go through, that joy is actually at the heart of the Christian life 
in the Christian pursuit. When Paul is dealing in Romans chapter 14 with people who are arguing over little things about food and and drinks and all that sort of stuff, he says, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Or if we were to illustrate from the shorter Westminster Catechism, the very first question was asked, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what is the primary goal of human existence? And the answer to that is, man's chief end is to glorify God, to proclaim, display all of the excellencies of all that God is, and to enjoy him forever. To enjoy means to have joy in Part of the primary chief end of man is firstly to glorify God. That's first and foremost. And that in response, we have joy in him, in all that he is. Or as John Piper quite famously says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. What he means is he agrees with the statement. He says, Our enjoyment and rejoicing in God adds to him getting more glory. I want you to think about this for a moment. I am his. He is mine. And that changes everything. All of us were once alienated from God Because of our sin, we've become reconciled to Christ through the confession of our sin by his death on the Christ was his punishment for our sin, raised again in victory. And now because of my union with him, he says, I want to give you my joy that you would have it in full, in and through all things. So this joy we're speaking of this morning, we're not talking about some sort of vague feeling of happiness of, I don't know, I just just feel happy. There is a foundation. It is an unadulterated enjoyment of God in everything in life for his glory. It's a joy that is wrapped up in his perfect, unchanging character. Therefore, it means... It's a joy that is unaffected by the ever-changing experiences and circumstances around us. Now, whether you've really thought about this topic or not before, this next question you will have thought about. What brings us joy? You know how it goes. You meet someone for the first time, they ask you what your name is, they ask you what you do, they might say, where do you live? If they want to go a little bit deeper, they might say, what are you passionate about? What are, what are some of the things you love doing? Or they might even say, what brings you joy in life? Now, everybody has something that brings them joy in life, something that, that gives them happiness. So whether or not they're very good at articulating, everybody has an answer to that question. And I would suggest to you what instinctively comes out of your mouth in response to that question, what brings you joy, 
probably is a pretty good reflection of the greatest joys that are in your heart. So what do you answer normally? What is your natural instinct when someone would say to you, what brings you joy? I don't say that to make you all feel guilty or bad because when I assess myself and think about what would I normally say without thinking it through, it's probably not the answer that I would like to be giving. As a Christian, our ultimate joy should be in Jesus. And we should boldly speak of that when someone says, what are you passionate about? Not out of obligation of, oh, I'm a Christian, I better make sure I give the good Christian answer. I don't want for myself, I don't want for any of us, just to be people who can give a good answer when someone asks a question like that. Something that's theologically robust. Rather, I want us to be a people whose lives are so intimately wrapped up with finding our joy and delight in him that we cannot help but speak when we have the opportunity. Now, that doesn't mean we can't find joy in other things. We find joy in family, friends, hobbies, all those other things. And by nature, I think it's fair to say that people seek for happiness. Every people seek for happiness and joy. And here's a thought I want to put past you. Is it possible that the reason why every single human being ever created desires and seeks happiness and joy is because they are created in the image of God who is infinitely and eternally full of joy. And he has created us with a longing to have our joy complete in him. When you go to the library, go to the section where there's biographies. Apparently, I don't know, I don't go into libraries, I'll be honest there. You will find pages filled with people doing the thing that brings them delight and joy and happiness. Some of them will actually be quite disturbing. You'll read through it and someone pursues this. They think, oh, if I get this, it'll make me happy. And we might be reading this biography and think, man, I wish I had a life like that person. And you read what they did and they I thought it was going to make me happy, it didn't. So they tried this. They go from thing to thing to thing in a pursuit of a, some form of complete or fullness of joy, never finding it. Jesus says, in him you can have fullness of joy. And only he has the power and authority to fulfill that promise. Brothers and sisters, we will find joy in other little things. But we are never to find our primary identity or our ultimate joy in the smaller, littler things. They never will lead to fullness of joy and in the process we rob ourselves of what Jesus intended for us and we rob God of receiving the glory of us enjoying him and all of his wonders. But when we have our hearts filled with such joy in him, it's not just about what we can get out of him. We have joy in him in all that he is. It's an obsession, a, a delight in him. 
his character, his ways, everything about him. Who he is, what he's doing in this world, what he's doing in other people around us. Let me give you a few examples. As Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, he's heard about their faith and their love for one another. He's encouraged by it. And he says to that church, you are our joy. It brings Paul joy to see God at work in them. To the Philippians, as he opens up, saying how he prays for them constantly with joy. And then when he speaks further of his prayer in verse 25, he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He desires and prays for their spiritual growth and he anticipates that as they grow spiritually, their joy in the faith will grow as well. We rejoice in God's work, not only in us, but in others as well for the display of his glory. John wrote in 3 John, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly with the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Now, when he says he's got no greater joy, he's not saying that that's a greater joy than God himself. He is recognising that God is at work in him and he rejoices in that. Now, I'm sure all of us to some extent have experienced joy in God. But fullness, that that sounds like a pretty big call, doesn't it? That sounds kind of a little bit next level more than any of us might have felt that we've experienced. How can we have fullness of joy? Because we've got to start with a point that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Therefore, if he says, I've spoken these things that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full, then he's the tr- if he says it. But when he says, I have spoken these things so that, he's saying that what he said beforehand was helpful for you to know what it means to have his joy and have your joy full in him. All of the things said previously in John chapter 15. If I was to summarise that section we had read in three words, I'd say abiding, loving, obeying. They are the three key themes, especially abiding, which is very similar to our drawing near that we looked at last week. First, we abide or we remain in him. He uses the illustration, I am the vine, you are the branches. The branches get everything they need, all of the energy, all of the strength, all of the life comes from there abiding in the vine. But note what Jesus says in verse 11 when he says that promise that we're focusing on this morning. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus doesn't say, I've spoken to these things so that I can give you some form of joy that's that's external to me. He says, I will give you 
my joy, the very joy that Jesus has and Jesus has had infinitely from all eternity. He says, I've spoken these things that my joy might be in you. Joy isn't just something that, that Jesus gives. Joy is not something that just God gives. Joy is something that they intrinsically have had for all eternity. And so he calls us to abide in him and through our abiding union with him that we would know and experience and have his joy. Or consider the words from Psalm 16 that we had read at the start of the service. You make known to me the path of life In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The psalmist isn't trying to say that that he is God and somewhere nearby him he's got this big bucket of pleasures that he wants to dish out and then over on his right hand side he's got a bucket bucket of joy he wants to throw out. He's saying that in God himself, it is part of his nature. Joy is a characteristic, it's a trait of God. And by nearness to him we experience his joy, his pleasures. Because our God is never changing, same yesterday, today and forever. His infinite joy remains. He doesn't become less joyful when he sees the dark things that are going on in our world. And this joy that he says can be in you also should not fluctuate because our joy is in him which is unchanging despite what goes on around us. The second thing he says is we are to love him, abide in his love. It's probably really difficult to to want or desire to abide where there is no love. It's probably very difficult to obey where there is no love. In verse 9, Jesus says, Just as the Father loves me, so, or in the same way, I have loved you. Jesus says, Just as God the Father loves the Son, so, to the same extent, same way, I love you, my children. And he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. And because we love us, he calls us to abide in his commandments. Do you really often associate these two things? Love, commandments, obey. They're probably not words that naturally fit around in your mind. But take a look at what Jesus actually says in that verse. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my father's commandments and I abide in his love. Sometimes people read that verse and think, if you stop keeping his commandments or if you don't keep them just for for a little bit or you fail to keep one commandment, somehow that Jesus is saying he's pulling all his love away, he's taking it away. It's not what he's saying. We know that what Paul says in Romans 8, 38 and 39 where he says nothing can separate us from the love of God. What he's actually saying here is, if you keep my commandments, 
you abide in my love, is saying God's commandments are an expression of his love. If you want to remain in his love, then remain in the things that he has provided for you to experience his love. His commandments are an expression of his love to us. And we experience his love by submitting ourselves to them. They're not a burden. They're a way in which we receive and experience the love of God. And interestingly, these are the words that immediately go before. It says, I've said these things that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. When we read through John 15, especially when we think about joy, we read verse 11 and go, yep, I want that one, baby. That's the good one. I want this joy to the full. He wants to give it. He's able to give it. He says, and I have spoken these things to you that you may know how to receive and experience it. Sadly, my diminished experience of his joy is not because there's a fault in the promise. It's not a fault in his character or his lack of joy or his unwillingness or inability to give. Instead, what it highlights is the inconsistency in my abiding, the inconsistency in my loving, and the inconsistency of my obeying and experiencing his love through keeping his commands. Last week, as we looked, James chapter 4, we looked at the promise to draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. We draw near to him, the almighty God, who has infinite joy within himself. And he wants to share that with those who abide in him. The only problem is, at least for myself, I'm sure for for many of us, we get so, so, so distracted with the lesser joys of this world. We get so distracted with, with little things that might be nice, they might not be sinful things, they might be nice, pleasant things, but we give them our fullness of our attention and we settle for something far less than what God had designed for us. We rob ourselves of what Jesus intended for us and we rob God of the glory that he receives when we are enjoying him. I want us to challenge us with the words from C.S. Lewis in one of his sermons he wrote in 1942 called The Weight of Glory. C.S. Lewis says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. So he's responding to the idea of, you know, when people are saying, well, it's, it's Christians, no feelings and, and having desires is not a good thing. He's saying, actually, when you look through the Gospels, Jesus' concern isn't that our desires are too strong, but too weak. Then he goes on to say, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. 
It's a very vivid but a very telling description, isn't it? We are here just happily sitting in a slum playing with mud pies. Or we're so content with the smaller enjoyments and blessings in this life that we forget what Jesus has truly put on offer to us. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So let's enjoy him. Let's have joy in him. Tim Chester wrote a fantastic book called Enjoying God, which I'd highly commend to you. The psalmist writes in Psalm 34, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That is not a promise that somehow if you do Christian things you can twist God's arm to get what you want. It's saying, make him the fullness of your delight. May all of your delights and longings be in him. Then your desires will be godly desires. They'll be the things that he desires for you. And then he longs and loves to give you the things that are his desires for you. Then you experience even more joy because he gives you the things that are the longings of your heart if you desire him first and above all things. I want us to pray for myself. I want us to pray for all of us that the things that we've been speaking of this morning might be true of us as we abide in him, as we love him, as we enjoy the blessing and love of his commands. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we read your word, we know that you never speak a word of falsehood. Even things that might seem to us to be too good to be true. Things that we would never believe if another person said to us. We know are true if you say them to us. How wonderful is this thought that that your joy may be in us, that our joy may be full, complete, with the very joy of Christ himself. That we might have such a joy that you eternally have in and through the difficult things that go on in this world, that we might have a joy because we know who we belong to. We know the nature of your character to sustain us through even the most hard things that we'll ever face in our life. And Lord, we also look forward with great anticipation when we will see you face to face, when we'll receive in fullness what we've experienced in part, when we delight and enjoy you around your throne forever. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.